This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow standard orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say. You will obey. It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew. I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, how's it going? And special guest Larry Nemechek from Star Trek. Peace be with you, friend. Joy. And I'm sorry, when you said the Landrew, I had to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bones. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, like, as someone who up until a couple of years ago knew Larry as, you know, the Star Trek, the next generation guy, there's a little part of me that always thinks, like, why why is he on the original series show? Has he even seen the original series? <laughs> um, Poor Larry. I mean, do, do we need to explain the, the concept of Bones to you? I mean, I don't know. It's just this weird little thing that will always be there for me. Uh-huh. But for, anyway. For, for those who don't know, Larry wrote the Star Trek Next Generation Companion. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of... I would say he knows everything about Next Generation, but I think he knows everything about everything Star Trek. Yeah, they call be him careful what you, Dr. Trek. Be careful what you wish for. You may not get it or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those those marketing people, they come up with anything. Dr. Trek, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's funny. I, I, I saw where you were going with that, and I was like, now that is funny because – no, I was one of those kids that was like recording, you know, you had your cassette player and okay, kitties. I know this. Now we're going to be g- gathered around the pot-bellied stove with our crackers <laughs> and cheese here at at the Hooterville station and Drucker's store or something. But, you know, there was a time before you even had videotape and all you could do was watch the it was like standing outside a a merry-go-round or a carousel and watching the horses go around, you know, and if you knew somebody on a horse and you'd wave at them every time they came around, that was the way it was. You had 79 hours of Star Trek and you would go home after school and it, like it's your favorite show and if you saw it or you missed it, you knew that three months from now you could see it again <laughs> and it would come back around, you know, until like you had a channel like ours did, which went screwy in the summer and took it off and would show it like once a week and they showed Flipper at four instead of Star Trek, which made no sense. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so it's like then I got smart and I'd start like writing notes down and then if I wanted to sketch the um, – uh, the air pressure valve chart, you know, in Space Seed that got reused outside the hangar back day, bay, outside uh, the pressure thing and lights a Zetar. <laughs> you could, like, sketch a piece of it as it went by and then three months later get your thing. Unless you were lucky to to be collecting film clips, if you were, like, ordering from Lincoln, a, a.k.a. Roddenberry.com now, you know, from Majel and Gene, or you went to a con and somebody was trading those or something. 
and you could just find one. But other than that, you would like wait at home and wait for something to go by, and then you would like. Or that's what that's what that's what primitive living in a cave background nerds like me used to do. It was like one thing to watch the shows and go, oh yeah, Spock's going to do this and Kirk's going to do this. But if you're like trying to do research and reference and and you realize that there are mistakes in B. Joe's concordance and that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, that's what you did. But yeah, it's, it's like it was like waiting for the, the guy you knew on the merry-go-round to come back around. Only instead of like every minute, it took like three months. <laughs> yeah, and, and well, that's one of the reasons why like the, the your companion... You fans have it so easy today. I know. Well, yeah, <laughs> we we've can t- pause. We, we've talked about that. We can watch, like literally, someone getting into Star Trek now can watch every single episode of the show you know instantly you know have, have you seen Netflix. the internet have you seen the things somebody put together where they like next generation they have no it's original series there's like all eight there's a little tiny frame and it's like a mega frame and all 79 <laughs> hours are going at once so yeah like, yes. i've seen that yeah, yeah yeah i mean so yeah. yeah you can literally watch them all at once but the other thing about those days too is you could nobody had any video or film or anything unless you were actually like got your little brownie movie camera and stuck it on a TV and for some godforsaken reason tried to film that, but <laughs> or you were lucky and you knew somebody who worked at a station and and you had collectors who had episodes. We had the guys that uh, John Connolly in Tulsa was the guy that brought his films and his Star Trek episodes to the cons and he was Mister Film Room, and hmm. I said Film Room not video room or screening room, but you had projectors and there'd be some schmuck in there and if it was at a college or something and the film would break and you know or melt and you know focus you know those but uh (laughs) otherwise you were stuck at home with your little cassette recorder and you know throwing your mic in front of your tv speaker the best you can in your mono and you'd record episodes and i had about there was some company that sold them but i had about probably a third of the shows on tape that way but that was the closest you could get to you know, having your show, but yeah. So yes, I'm an original series fan. I hope I hope that imagery sold it. I, okay, because <laughs> you can't I, we'll, make this stuff up. We'll take we'll take your word for it. Okay, but uh, we'll see. Trust. We'll we'll see we'll see how how much you uh, you slip <laughs> up over the course me. of this. He tests uh, me, and I <laughs> and I shall fail him. Yeah. Yes. So today we're going to be talking about some. Uh, kind of original series stuff that you're involved with uh pretty heavily eh? hey yeah I, I thought you said uh chicago and indiana not canada but uh, I'm, I'm, yes <laughs> yes yeah I'm, I'm he's close canada enough. in spirit yeah so this ama- so so yeah so this amazing the whole fan film thing has been so incredible to watch because back when we were still doing the communicator the licensed magazine with the fan club the Exeter guys did theirs, and that was like a shockeroo. And then James Colley in Phase Two, and they were doing, and I and I was actually in the, <laughs> I was actually in the first one of those, uh, as a cameo. And then it's been like uphill. I mean, I just tweeted this the other day. I've seen two new fan films, just in the last two or three days. And I, I mean, I say that, I power to them. I mean, everybody's, you've got the technology and the video and people's skill sets and you have enough people that, um, it's not totally just kids in their backyard. It's people with professional or semi-professional skills or they, whatever. But yeah, there's fan films all over the place and not just Kirk era 23rd century, but you know, before and back, my friend Alec Peters has got Axanar, which is April era. And anyway, all these things have a people are staking out a different little piece of ground, and now there's some from 24th century, you know, next gen era 
spinoffs and all that. So the fan films are kind of amazing, but what's the one that I've been the closest to is the one that came and found me <laughs> uh, <laughs> last year when uh, I got it. I I I know I probably told this story somewhere, but I got introduced to Vic Mignogna. Um, when the Shatner show was here in L.A., and uh, my friend, um, I went to I went to it with uh, I had some tickets promo tickets, um, and went with my friend Tim Gaskell who used to work on Star Trek dot com as a, as a, one of the news producers, and in licensing and we went and I was coming down the stairs and looked across and I said that looks like John Broughton with the Farragut over there but this is L.A. and he's in Baltimore at D.C. And I came down and went, oh, my God, it is John and uh, and his wife. And so they saw us, and we talked, and Vic and his girlfriend, Michelle, who I now I know so well, but at the time I just met them. And it's like, this is Vicky's doing a new um, thing. I said, okay, that's fine. So we talked briefly. And then my friend Ralph uh, Miller, who's a wonderful sound guy, and he's wound up doing the sound on all these shows and Renegades and Gods and Man and a lot of other stuff um, – they found out that I, I didn't know anything about this, but they did three vignettes for Star Trek Continues to kind of prove the concept and show what they were trying to do. And Chuck Huber played McCoy, and then they bumped the time of the first shooting from October to January, which was going to be at the Farragut sets in mm-hmm. Southeast Georgia. And um, uh, uh, Ralph made this big push that uh, you should have Larry, you should have Larry come, you should have Larry come. And it's like, no, no, they've already cast it. And Anyway, we had lunch, and I met Vic, and I said, hey, I'd love to help you out. I'll help promote it, if nothing else, but I'd love to be in sometime if you have a role. I, I acted. It's been a long time ago. I'm going to get. I'm gonna knock the rust off. I've done some web acting, some non-Trek stuff here recently. I was in a little plug. I was in a little thing called Divine White's Intro to Hollywood, which is very funny. My friend Allison... Um, Allison Winter did it, and you can find it online. It's a little six-part short web series about British actors in L.A. being led by a Brit as their mentor, and I'm one of the two Yankees in it. So, uh, <laughs> in the last in the last episode. So anyway, I was getting back into that because my kids just left home, and we just relocated here slightly, and life is evolving, and the world is, and the world is new, and um, so you know. But I said, I'm not – you've got your thing. So it turned out that Chuck couldn't do it when they bumped the show. They needed somebody on three weeks' notice. Vic called me about a week before Christmas 2012, yeah, and said, would you do this? And it was right when I was supposed to do – we were supposed to work on Stellar Cartography, which was my map book thing that just came out from from Amazon. And I was like, oh my God, can, like anything more cram? Because I was like all paranoid about getting that done right and on time, and we'd have a real Titan – so he actually had to talk me into doing it, which is insane because any other time I would have jumped at the chance to be McCoy because it's McCoy and yeah. my favorite and all that. So anyway, so that's the – so yeah, on three weeks' notice, I took my my stellar cartography stuff there. I was fed – the first batch of maps <laughs> that I marked up came to Kingland, Georgia for stellar cartography, and I got there, and I mean I had the script, and I was like, holy smokes, this is a huge McCoy part. But it was it was huge for everybody. It was a really good – it was an incredible script, first of all. And they had been spending a year honing and refining this. And um, and I was actually thinking things like, gee, do you have props? Do you need me to try to find – and I got there, and no, they had – everybody – so many people were contributing stuff. That's what part of the magic of all the fan films are and the magic of – continues is there's so many people who are just giving of themselves 
And uh, so, no, we had a full surgery set, as you see in the show, and as a lot of the stuff has come out. And even then, I got there and it was like, holy smokes, the acting bar here is huge. And uh, But also that the sets are so incredible. And the first day, I actually, it happened so rare, but I just got to nerd out. And Sick Bay was what we shot in first. And it was just, oh my God, it's just beautiful and gorgeous. And and um, and then I actually had to work also. <laughs> I mean, I had to work hard to do the <laughs> scenes because I, you know, I had came in kind of late. And I didn't know anybody else. I knew Ralph and I had just met Vic. And uh, so, but aside from that, it was just, it was an incredible experience. And we shot the first show. And it was the hardest I've played in a long time, but it was incredible and getting to know the cast and from the from the PAs and the kids and the girls that were and guys that were working the show through all the cast and everybody. It was just um, incredible. And then the response, the the premiere in Phoenix was amazing, and the kick the Kirk starter we did later in the second episode, Lolani, although it was a different kind of show. Um, it's just been amazing, and then, but the year was an insane year for me with all that going on, and we moved, and I had wanted to do some more acting, uh, coaching, and I did a little bit, but not what I wanted to do, and I've got th- two, three other things kind of staring me in the face. One is I got to revamp my website, and there's a there's still a project I'm wanting to work on with Trek, and um, I'm working in voiceover now, or studying and and working and launching that, and working on my demo now and a lot of real-world things, and it was like, I wish this had been a couple of years before or after, because getting a chance to play McCoy is just, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But long story short is I'm not going to, I did it for the first two, and I'm not going to do, after that I'm going to take a year off from all acting and uh, get on with some life stuff. But uh, I'm still in the Continues family, and I'm a creative consultant, creative uh, consulting producer kind of thing, and um, I visited the shoot they just did, um, which is going to be which is going to blow people away. And um, I'm going to do the whole 30 minute show in one stanza. I just thought I'd do that. Okay. I know, but I'm trying to get to the end, expected. and then I'll shut up, and then we can talk about like little sentences. But that's that's <laughs> the that's the Star Trek continues story for me. But it's just the amount, you know, the reaction people had. Uh, and then you guys want to talk about individual things, we can. But it's just um, watching the reaction online and then leading up to the – and they would leak pictures. And, of course, I did interviews for Trekland, my blog, and a lot of pictures. And a lot of stuff was spoilers, so we had to hold on to it till it premiered. And uh, they'd let little bits and pieces out at a time on both episodes, but uh, you know for maximum promotion effect. But when it premiered in Phoenix – Everybody, I mean, every fifth person said, oh, my God, I feel like I'm a kid again, and I just ran home from school to watch an episode of Star Trek, except the adult me knows that I just saw a lost episode. And so many people said that over and over and over again. And, you know, as critiqued as I was, and some fans, (laughs) as I was about my McCoy, I've had so many people just come up and say uh, that they, they they love the whole show, they love all the characters, they love Vic and... Todd as Spock and Chris Doohan playing his dad's role and Grant as Sulu and uh, Kim is great and Michelle, our, our new character um, McKenna, who's like a trial pilot version of a counselor um, just all, you know and, our, and um, uh, Wyatt as Chekhov except we didn't have him for the second show anyway, all of that, people are just like so so incredible and you just remember how the how the damn show touched people since and especially we're in a time when there's no active TV on of any kind, and people love love JJ or hate JJ or going yeah, 
it's bringing people in to buy tickets. Whatever you are, we're in a fallow time, and people are off doing their own thing, and this is one of them. But at the same time, a lot of people are hungry for, you know, something you know something more alive than the novels or even STO, and it's just filled that niche. So it's just been really incredible to see the reaction of people, and now the second one's been out, and people have been, you know, incredible about that. And um, anyway, I'll stop now, but um, <laughs> we're done now, as Minnie Pearl used to say, but... Uh, uh, it's just been it's been an incredible thing, and it's and it's not over for me. Like I said, I went out and watched them, and I'll I'll be promoting and helping and on scripts and stuff. And a year or two from now, something I want to get back in active on camera too. But um, that's where we are now, and uh, it's uh, yeah, wearing the damn smock and doing surgery, uh, you just can't top that if you're a McCoy fan. So <laughs> I'll and you know with that song, they can't take that away from me. That'll just be amazing. <laughs> and all the little doohickeys you got to play with. Oh, hey, listen! I will tell you one thing. No, when you're a McCoy fan, no, you you know how he handles his his. You know, everybody can do a hypo, but do you know the right way to handle the med scanner or the Feinberger? The way if you if you're really old school and you read making of Star <laughs> Trek and you know that Irving Feinberg was a prop guy and they would call the med scanners the Feinbergers. Or the or uh, or you had an original Bejo thing, and she had all the little wacky script. Like a, it's kind of like a kudogram. It's like let's take the person's name and you know whatever. Uh, uh, Irvingo right. scope was another one. Well, Jeffrey's tube. Jeffrey's I mean, tube, right? Yeah. Right from from then, much less now. And um, but there's a certain way because on the on the sta- on the regular med scanner uh, that looks like it's a screwdriver base, you know, and then the little rotating thing under the mesh screen. There's a thumb button. And there's a certain way that you scan people, like with the little rotating thing forward, and then when you want to flip, there's nothing on the prop on the bottom, but McCoy would always, D would always like read the bottom of the scanner, like there's a little readout dial, and then French Joseph put one on there, but there really wasn't on the on the prop. But um, there's a certain way you've you use your thumb as a pivot, and when you press down the button, and it's a practical, and it rotates, and ours was, which is amazing. And then you let up, and then at the same time, your what was that be? Your middle finger, you use your index finger and thumb to hold it. And then when you let up with your thumb, you push it with your middle finger, and it flips around so you can read the bottom. And you don't have to make a big bumbly thing about reading it. So everybody, watch <laughs> Pilgrim of Eternity and watch the saving Sulu on the transporter scene. I made sure and have one good med scanner thumb flip in there. Did you teach Chuck? I didn't get to I didn't get to t- t- teach Chuck that because we were never alive together with a prop at the same time the the times that I've been been with him. And when I was out there, I had a thing the second weekend. I I had a event for the Con of Wrath and part of how I leveraged the trip was we had a meetup fundraiser for the Con of Wrath in Jacksonville separate from a convention, which I'd never done that before. And then right up the road is Kingsland in Georgia and I went up for 3 days. And it had to be the front end when there was all the crew were there, but it, most of the cast wasn't. A couple uh, Wyatt and and Chris Dewan came in just as I was like on the way out the door. They came in. I got to see them briefly, but I missed I missed uh, Chuck and Kim and um, and Michelle and uh, anybody. I'm gonna get mad. And Grant. But uh, yeah, I had those three days in. But anyway, that's my that's my. If nothing else, I got to do a McCoy med scanner thumb pivot bit <laughs> on so, camera and that's about as damn 
particular is you're going to get anybody talking about a McCoyism on on any show. I bet you. <laughs> so is is that something the McCoy med scanner thumb pivot? It was that um, something that that DeForest Kelly came up with himself, just like this is how I'm going to use this prop, or, or was that how it was designed? Or, or oh what? no, I mean that's just something you watch. That's just something D came up with. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, they built right. the prop with a th- here. You know, here's the practical switch that you push in this button and it rotates the thing. Yeah, and yeah. after watch first season, I'm sure it's not there, but just him and his prop. After a while, just yeah. like after a while, Spock was the one that kind of developed how you use a tricorder. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it had its parts, but you watch the early shows and they're, everybody's, do, including Spock, are doing all kinds of things. Some people have it flat, almost like a next-gen one, you know, with the hood open, and some people some people are reading it, and then some, like, I, the famous time is Sitting on the Edge of Forever, where Spock is holding it with the door open, and he's holding it out, sh- kind of showing off the hero version to camera. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I <laughs> am a fool. I have missed recording, you know, hundreds of years of History, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just the actors and their props. It's like I know uh, Gates talked about on Next Gen because it's the same thing. The The doctor is kind of like the pro- – at least out of the gate, the doctor is kind of the proppiest one <laughs> of the actors. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I am not going to be f- – She and she's enough of a stage actress. She like went in and, and handled stuff. She's like, I'm not going to be fumbling around with these. It's like if I'm a doctor, I've used these things every day for years and I have to look like it. You know, as an actor. In fact, when we everything, the first day we shot on continues, and Abby George, she was Abby Hazel then. She's gotten married. The blonde girl that kind of reminisces, looks like a little bit like Chapel, only isn't. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want no, to Ms. act Temple. like it was. Yeah, Nurse Temple. Well, the story of that, the the script just said nurse, and she had a line. She was in all the scenes, but there was one time she gets to go doctor, and uh, I think it's when Uhura dies, and um, or she's about to. And on top of like the first day, we had the horrible traveling getting in, and we were three hours late getting started. And and it's like, hi, Larry. Here's everybody. Here's the set. Here's your props. Jump in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, this is one, but oh my god. And then they had the call sheets wrong, and I thought I didn't do a scene with lines the first day, but I did. But anyway, I thought I had some time to get in and really work hard. Um, but when we were standing around, I said, okay. So, but I'm like my old theater training kicked in, and it's the same way. It was like, okay, here's all our stuff. This is so. This is cool. But we gotta, we gotta look good at this. And she was really sweet. And I don't know how much stage Abby had done, but she looked great. She was a cosplayer, and she had a nurse uniform and all that. And they decided that she would of the of the ones that were there, she'd be nurse. So I said, okay. One of my pet peeves with any of the shows is I hate it when we just have guard or nurse or whatever. I said, I at least want a name with everybody especially if they're going to be a featured extra. So um, we started talking, and I two things. One thing, I, we did a prop drill where we just played like, you know, the old standard uh, uh, scalpel, scalpel, sponge, sponge, you know, when they do that. We did, we set, because the Uhura scene, if you watch, we're flapping stuff like that. And I said, we're going to do a, a surgery drill here. And I would tell hypo, hypo, scanner, scanner, sponge, sponge, you know. And we just got where we were like not we were like not looking at each other or our hands. It was like look down at the bed and let's do this stuff back and forth and get used to you know, we would just do actory kind of things like that. And the other thing I when we were standing around in whatever little tiny time we had, I said, Okay, let's come up with a name for you and not just call you nurse. And um 
because I think, A, that's just my fans saying everybody should have a name. I hate it when it's guard number three or something. But um, And I said – but and we want people to know that you're not trying to be chapel because they're like reserving the right to have a real – to have a chapel. And, you know, Abby wasn't an actress-actress and she didn't have any lines and we didn't make a thing out of it. So um, – but I said, I, I said, how about this? How about we name her something like uh, Nurse – temple or nurse and then we were like laughing nurse uh, synagogue nurse mosque <laughs> but nurse temple kind of like makes sense and it sounds cool until you may not even get it at first so we went with that and she says can i come up with the first name and i said sure so i mean this is just our little you know thing like they like actors do so a couple of days later she was a big bsg fan and she wanted to name her so nurse temple's first name is actually kara because she loved there's a piece of trivia news for you maybe but anyway but it's the kind of thing that um she didn't have a name and as we sat and worked on the show and she and we had three days of sick bay and she was in all those and then she put on a red dress and she was in the rec room scene i think they flipped her hair differently a little bit but um and didn't like cram the camera on her like she got when we were doing surgery but uh, it just – it's one of those things. It's like Jeffrey's tube. You know, it's like one of those things that kind of hangs on, and everybody's using it after we were, like, telling everybody, that's Nurse Temple now. And everybody's, oh, that's a good one, Nurse Temple. Okay, cool. And it kind of just filtered in and soaked in, and by the time, um, you know, Vic did the credits, it came out Nurse Temple, and then we were off and running. And everybody's like, oh, oh, oh Nurse Temple, I get it. Uh, you know, <laughs> when they see that. And um, anyway, so that's how that's how that started. But that's – you know, working with props and stuff, it was it was that kind of situation. That the impressive thing was to be there and have the stage procedure and the stage protocol we were shooting uh, was incredible. In the makeup room, everything was just very professional. And you know, speed marker rolling, sound sound rolling. Okay, and I was just like, I did a little brain fart. Going, Holy Toledo, this is like I got up my bar here. This is not just <laughs> community theater fan filmed them here. And I'm not, I'm not knocking. This is like the highest I'd ever either watched or seen anybody else's shows, but that's what Vic wanted. So, you know. Well, I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing because, uh, you know, I mean, like with, with these productions or whatever, I mean, like, like you said, it is, they, they tend to go, you know, the sort of fan film community theater route. And, uh, there, there's a lot of people, uh, like you, for example, who, uh, while you're, you know, an expert in Star Trek and an expert in Bones. I mean, like you said, you're you're not exactly known for your acting, right? But 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 your acting is is really good. So, oh, well, I mean, I it, it just seems like that. yeah, I was always very hard on myself, and uh, and everybody else was too, and needed to be. Or I don't mean that. I mean, everybody's you know, it's very serious, and we that was one of the that was one of the goals of the show was to have everybody um, honed in that way. And 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 when professionals, you know, some of the stunt casting kicked in, that there wasn't this big obvious drop off, you know. Right. I mean, it, it was it was like you know just one of those things where like when I was watching it, I was like, okay, Larry is playing. Okay, fine, Larry's playing Bones. I didn't know that he was an actor. And then when I watched it, I'm like, oh, you know, it, it's not like it's just some. I mean, I've made enough movies with my friends to know when I put someone in there who's not an actor I, I know what I'm going to get you know and that's not what this was at all and it seemed like there was a lot of like a, a, a lot of that in a sense like like the people involved are people who you know but they're doing things that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to do and yet they're still you know 
doing a really good job at it. Like how how did that come about? How did how how did some of the people who are involved with it like kind of slot into those positions? Well, this is Vic's baby. And something that I wasn't as up on until I got into continues, which has nothing to do with Star Trek, is I had no idea that the anime cons – I mean, I know obviously that anime has come into – you know, comic cons are not about comic books anymore because there's so much media in them. And it it just kind of like, duh, later on went, well, they're not – comics are not anime either. I mean, manga is kind of, you know, Japanese comic, but anime per se is a huge thing, and that's really kind of driven the cosplay revolution – and the word cosplay, it's not enough to – you don't go to a convention now and go wear – you don't go in costume or wear a costume because cosplay came from anime. And I – not to stereotype here, but the anime girls, you know, and the geek girl revolution mm-hmm. kind of a thing, although I will be on my soapbox and in my documentary we're on this too about how women have always been – especially early Star Trek fandom in the 70s, thanks to Spock and the Vulcans, women have always been – huge leaders and strong in Star Trek fandom. And then somewhere in the 80s and 90s that went away a little bit, maybe because of I think because of Shatner's sketch on Saturday Night Live they get a live sketch and all they had were the teenage boys, not middle-aged women by then. But anyway, um, you know, it's like anime came into comic cons and made them the huge thing they are now beyond comics, just like media is. And I didn't realize that the anime cons are such a huge thing to themselves and people I had no idea like Vic and like Todd and like Chuck are huge voiceover anime stars and they have panels with hundreds of people and they get paid you know to go to a lot of the anime cons and they had their own built-in following and the fact that they were all closet trek fans never came out at these anime things where these you know and I again I'm saying this with all the love I'm I'm only trying to be uh, factual here not not but like the, you know, the twelve and fourteen and eighteen year old anime girls and their boyfriends, whoever else is there or older, but they have no clue about sci-fi or about Star Trek, much less the original series. And um, so they know each other from that circuit, and that was kind of the uh, that was kind of the the core of this. And then on the circuit, he reached out to Grant to play Sulu, and he met Wyatt as a kid, a smile-like kid in his audience at a, at a panel one time. There's a whole story about <laughs> how he tried to trip him up from the audience in a Q&A, and, and he it kind of like impressed him so much, this wise-ass, that he came back and said, you look a lot like Chekhov, and have you ever done the acting? And, you know, he, you look like young Walter Koenig. And, and um, so, like, for two or three years, he'd been putting this together, and he had worked on Phase 2, and played uh he directed up there and, and there's a there's some bad blood going on back and forth stuff there that I hope all goes away cuz I personally have always tried to support everybody um but but uh Kim who plays Uhura had been Uhura on phase 2 I think um so you know some people came from there Chris is just Chris doing <laughs> and yeah. Vic reached out to him and Chris isn't an actor either. He's really worked hard on it since the since the shorts and worked on his dad's accent. But he has a day job he goes back to. Um, so yeah, so everybody came from different. But then the just as important is the crew. Matt Busey. Oh my God, the DP that I I keep meaning to sit down and and talk to them. And when I found out that he's from Vermont and. The first camera crew guys were from Seattle, and we were down in Kingsland where the Farragut sets are, and I, people just came from all over the country. Some uh, Wyatt was from Utah, and some 
friends of his came down and crewed, and now they're all working. We have a, we have a regular crew behind the scenes. People. There are people like Ralph that do sound, and Matt's the DP, and Lisa and Tim who do a lot of makeup on a lot of indie movies. They did uh, Renegades also, um, and a lot of other movies that aren't even sci-fi. They're trying to make sure they're not just sci-fi makeup people. But all these really skilled people, and now with the Kickstarter, they're able to like pay people's expenses and that kind of thing. But the first go round was out of Vic's pocket, and um, and Steve Dingler, who who now is Security Chief Drake, who's a tall guy, and he has they've evolved a little role for him. He has a company where he just puts money into geek projects, and uh, he's a he's in investments and finance, and has done very well for himself. But he is a complete geek. And and not just Trek, but other things. But he enjoys helping out projects like this, and um, he's that's why he's an executive producer. And um, but they made him this. They they created a security chief, and he's in Lalani a lot more than in the first one, even. So you know, and then we have the crew guys there around around Georgia who work on the Farragut sets, and they're there. And um, people who are in North Florida. That are in the fan, in the clubs there that work on the Farragut and the Exeter is being redone. And I, it's just it's just um, people come, you know, the prop crazies that bring in the props and like we did the dinner scene in Lolani. Uh, a guy, Dave Arland, is uh, has his day job, but he's a huge Trek fan and he he's been collecting the actual silverware that they used, which now has made this Danish silverware style because it's the Trek Starfleet style from the '60s. It's like hugely collectible now, and each piece is like fifty dollars. And yeah. but he's got a setting for five people, so we had six people at the dinner. So like one person didn't get the good silver when we shot that scene. <laughs> yeah, tell him I noticed that. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I totally recognized the silverware. I'm like that is. Uh-huh. That is screen accurate. <laughs> Actually, we farmed oh, it out to where everybody like didn't have one piece, so they had fill yeah. in, okay. and they put the All red right. tape at the bottom. But anyway, you know, and they were like guarding the silverware because he had like a few hundred dollars worth of collectible silver there now, just from this <laughs> Danish company. I think he said. Anyway, but that's the kind of thing, and people come in, and the uh, the last you know, every time they've. You know, the cooperative thing between Farragut and Continues is, and John Broughton's group and Mike Bednar, that they've been doing their films since well, – they were like the third big group after Exeter started and only got two done, and then Phase 2 was going. And then Farragut was kind of like the third group, and they didn't do Kirk, Spot, McCoy. They did their own crew on the Farragut, um, but it's it's Constitution class 20, 2260s sets, so – it was real easy to go back and forth and do those, and each 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 uh, group puts money into the sets. Like for for um, for the pilot, the sick bay was built out, and they made the transporter full size to spec. And they're using the stage nine plan from original series, so the thing is laid out just like the sets are at Desilu or were. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we need to build an. They keep finding we've got a Jeffrey's tube. And we've built some consoles this last go round, so there's not a full blown engineering. That's kind of like big on the list now that the Kickstarter came in, so that'll get to debut. And um, there's a there's a uh, the Farragut had a Galileo interior that they've used in some of their filming that has been like uh, even spiffed up even more. So you know it's um, that's a nice partnership. And then my I've got friends in Oklahoma City that have the Ajax that have the original Johnson's bridge from from the original. Exeter, and it's Oklahoma City, and they're setting up a studio and having people come in and film fan films, and there's three or four things, two or three things at least there. There's two or three new fan films that are going to use the Farragut sets also, 
and I, it's just you know it's just amazing it's like it was a big thing to do fanzines in the 70s on mimeo and now we're doing <laughs> you know fan thanks to the technology and and all that full it's just, sets it's how many full sets does that make uh so, you know like standing sets yeah. Uh, well, there's the ones in the city and the ones there. There, there would have been some in Vegas, but the poor Excalibur guys got done in by feuding brother uh, landlords, and one oh. brother did the other one dirty and sold their building, and it was bulldozed before anybody knew anything. And they they were working on their sets and got set back. Um, I don't know. There's some set building going on in L.A., but like Renegades used um, one of the other sets to film on. Um, they're trying to, you know, the, the original guys that did green screen, Hidden Origins here in LA, which is really fans, and they have like these two and three man scenes against green screen and then put the sets in. They, they were going for 15 years before any of this got huge, <laughs> you know, when the internet was new and just putting up your little YouTube video was still a big deal. And, uh, they're in LA, but yeah, there weren't any sets. So people have built these, have shot like, um, Doug Conway did of Gods and Men and did, renegades these kind of like one standalone movies uh but they're not standing sets so it's i know and then the phase two are up in upstate new york so and i think they were trying to have some group come in and film i forget i thought i saw somebody filming up there so yeah it's just wacky doodle but it sure is a great you know small d democratization of you know you don't have to come to la or whatever it's which the people in L.A. gripe. Why do we have to go across the country to shoot? Why isn't there something in L.A.? <laughs> Why do we have to go to Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody learned. You, that's People are all have been like going, oh, my God, I can't believe you're shooting a third episode. It's like, yeah, but now there won't be another one till October. <laughs> Shot. Oh, so that's, that's, I mean, that's still pretty impressive to get, you know, two of these out a, a year, you know. And it's also, yeah. well, I imagine it's got to be kind of frustrating for, for you guys being like, Oh, you know, we we should be doing twenty six. You know, you know, I mean, it's it it seems like it's just so much work, and then you know, it, it's like you get the one episode, and it's like okay, and now I mean, it, is is that kind of like a a feeling like like I I almost yeah. wonder if and I know I know that you've been saying like or you said that there's uh, some sort of feud going on, but since there are so many individual groups around, you know, doing their thing. Have they ever thought about kind of teaming up to sort of spread out the workload and maybe create like a almost unified continuity or something like that? Well, Actually, make like yeah. a full season of Star Trek. Well, let me let me let me bump back there a second because I think I think in the last year or so a lot of cooler heads have prevailed and and a lot of people pull for each other now. So don't I, I don't want to say yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. but still <laughs> even yeah. when everybody is friendly friendly it's 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 hard enough to get one group on, on the same page and going forward. I just think it's like humanly, uh, you know, it's like herding cats or something. I don't know. It's like it's kind of like it's like asking five or six conventions to all get together and organize what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like I mean, imagine that or get. I don't know. Would you come to um, unless it was like one producer and he had five shows and he could call the shots? But would you go to? Uh, you know, uh, five different shows on network TV and say, hey, can you guys coordinate? Now, you know, the closest thing you might have to that is like when some of the, like a network has, I mean, like during the AIDS epidemic or during, you know, something, some sub-social issue, they would get all the shows in a given night to have some kind of a theme with that. And however they could put it in their plot and they'd have like, 
you know, AIDS night on NBC or whatever and all, you know, or breast cancer awareness or something. But that's that's like moving heaven and earth and that's like million dollars and months ahead of time and all that stuff. So getting people who are already doing something as a labor of love in their spare time to, um, you know, sit down and do – you know, and then some people would say, well, why would we want to do that anyway? I know for a fan saying, oh, my God, this is – can I just like line these up <laughs> where I feel like I've yeah, got a new right. show coming every week and it's almost a fake? Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. And And as far as the crew on the inside – it depends on where you're standing. I mean, if you're, you know, a lot of people have day jobs and they take off 10 days to come. And even if they're getting their expenses paid, um, it's, you know, or or whatever, it's, um, and a lot of them still aren't. A lot of the crew people, the kids are still coming on their own. Um, they We have lunch. We have like, they buy lunch during the day, but people are still getting their, their hotel rooms and all that kind of stuff there in Kingsland or nearby. Um so it's still a, it's still a big thing, and to come and do that more often would be, you know, would be st- still be a, a big real life imposition on most of the people. So sure, I'm, I'm not even saying you know anyone does anything different from what they're doing now, but just saying like okay, so there's two Kirks and there's two Spocks or whatever, and we'll accept this, but you know, let's just instead of having you know. Season four, episode one of this, and season four. I, I, I'm no, I'm. It doesn't matter. I'm just talking. Right now. <laughs> no, no, I know. I've seen a lot of people have said the same like, thing. You know, it's like it, it, Star Trek fans are all such continuity nerds. <laughs> you would you would think they'd get together and be like, yeah, yeah, let's just do that. Let's just say that. I mean, it's such an anthology based show anyway. It's like, why not? Anyway, doesn't matter. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> No, it's a, but you're. What I'm saying is, you're not the first one to say something like that. And um, okay, well, either that's, that's either from the thing of, gee, can you guys? Can't we all just get along and, and coordinate? Can't we all just coordinate? <laughs> to people saying, gosh, it's impossible to dream that, but when it does happen, it's really cool to have, you know, things popping up. Yeah. And even even Farragut and some of the other shows, when they come out, you know, the Exeter, there's a group that's finally going to finish the fourth act of the second show when they stopped filming. Oh, that's and and cool. that's going to be rounded out. And there's, uh, there was this show done in the '80s where George Takei was a guest star playing Sulu as like a guest crewman, not on a view screen, but like running around. But it's George in the '80s when he's you know 30 years younger, and um, it was never finished. And there's a group. It's uh, Yorktown, a time to heal. And I talked to them when they were in L.A. And uh, they're they're finishing it up. They found a way to make the story where they can shoot some stuff now and. Finally, edit the pieces from the '80s together, and and uh, have it all look good. You know, put film grain into the stuff on video and all that. So it's there's get some John amazing to come in and uh, t- uh, <laughs> shoot the rest of the Sulu stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> Larry, I was wondering about this creative consultant thing. What does this mean? Is this mean like you're the the continuity guy? Do you have my dream job? <laughs> Well, or my dream job, which I would have loved to do. Well, for one thing, there are so many – like I was kind of intimating there when we got off on the props and the silver and everything. Uh, there are so many Trek nerds, starting with Vic himself, all the way down that it's not like they need anybody extra. But they just wanted me to stay in the family and come out and add to filming and you know the networking and uh, and talk about – you know when the scripts come out, look at the story. I, I – didn't have credit per se, but I had a big piece of Lolani's background for the show uh, about the Enterprise Orions and the um, 
I don't know if I've ever. I think I've said this maybe once somewhere, but the Enterprise Orion. I think you said it on the ready room. And, uh, okay, good. Yeah, they were uh, Houston and Vic and the other writers on there, and everybody was. They weren't wadded up in a ball over it, but people were like, should we ignore Enterprise? Should we include it? What are we going to do? But the Orion women, and the men are really running, but it's the women, and, blah, 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 and we've got this, and we want the show to be about slavery, and it's going to mess it up if she's really in control. How would that work? And and I go, guys, 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 guys. I, I do just what I've done for eight, for, you know, in the magazine and in my columns and stuff. It's like, guys, 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 let's just take a breath. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're stronger <laughs> with you than without you. Hold on here. All aspects of canon. <laughs> it's like, you know, the uh, the Enterprise was 100 years. You know, Enterprise show was 100 years before the cage or 80 years before the cage in Vena. And then Marta. And it's like, guys, guys, guys. It's, you know, and, and what if you did this and this and this? And, and so the whole little background that Spock says is basically what I said. I said, off the top of my head... Why don't we have the women running things secretly and not outwardly apparent to the world? And then there's a there's an in part of the reason they're so unstable and kind of a pariah to the rest of the near worlds and the, most of whom are Federation members that close in uh, that they're so unstable in the way they did this and and maybe the women overthrew the men and did get control or uh, the men overthrew the women and did get control that you see by the time of original series. And I said, and the and the point of this show can be, why does anybody have to be a slave to anyone? And I was talking to Vic on the phone, and he said, I love that. And not only do I love it for our plot, because he says, but it sounds totally like a McCoy thing to say. And I said, oh, cool, thank you. And lo and behold, the first draft script I got, here he's got McCoy saying, why does anyone have to be a slave to anybody? Which is... In Lolani, so I was like, "Well, cool." They made it. So that's one kind of thing, especially that I would, I would bring to the shows ongoing. So you know, and and it's like a never say never thing. I mean, I hope I hope Chuck is now because Chuck was Vic's first choice to play McCoy, and um, was in the shorts. So it's kind of like Vic's got things back the way you know he wanted, and so everybody's kind of where they want to be but i would love to do something you know later on i mean it's it's not exactly a huge secret that i was one of the goofy tellerites in the in the flashback trauma scene <laughs> even though they were they were very quick and dirty tellerites but for what they needed to be they looked just fine so i mean i you know my dream is still to do i don't know i don't have a story maybe one will hit me in the middle of the night sometime but i would still love to do our anybody's first real look at teller prime and how the tellerites all look and get along and everything and some kind of a story set against them and you know we know more about denobulans than we know about or denobulans than we know about tellerites so <laughs> there you go did i answer your question i think i did yeah 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 so that's yeah. that's what that's kind of what vic and i had talked about going forward and you know coming out and and seeing everybody and um and we're doing i should i need to mention here uh, the plug on the plug stand uh, coming up, oh, we're going to do a screening of Lolani at Phoenix Comic Con, um, and there's two or three of us going to be there together, at least Todd and me, and maybe a couple more. And at a, I've never been up in the Upper Midwest, but I'm going to be in Detroit. They've invited uh, some of the actors, and Vic, and I, and I'm trying to remember who else are going to be screening Lolani and having a panel at Detroit at Midwest um, Media Expo. 
And cool. any of the cons that I'm at, I'm going to have – I'll have Lolani and screen it whether I'm by myself or any of the cohorts are there too. And then and then going forward, I'm happy to go and plug and talk because it's been, it's been a great experience for me and they want me to be involved on several levels. And uh, like I said, and who, never say never. Who knows what will come around in a year or two. But uh, you know, I would love to be the first um, either leader or trader of, te- of Teller Prime you ever saw. But that I'm totally talking out my ass here. But um, like I said, you just, you, heaven forbid if somebody had said two years ago that I was going to get to play McCoy in one of the classiest fan films ever, I would have said, oh, "And really? And where is this coming from?" <laughs> you know. So, and you're going to do it at the same time they finally do nonfiction uh, star maps again. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. So who knows? You know, who knows what's happening? But I'm just trying to find my own stuff on my own, and and then when all this other happens, so be it. But it, it was a hoot to do it, and um, and the just the um, the appreciation that so many people have. It's kind of like, oh my god, I I'd forgotten how much I love the original series. It's just it's like when you feel like you've made so many people feel like a kid again. In fact. <laughs> At Phoenix, after about the nineteenth person to say that, I was like, "Well, this is cool, but did anybody under forty see this?" <laughs> and of course, we had tons of them. But you know, I was like, "Oh," but um, anyway, it's just been a, it's just been a great experience for me, and uh, and I know everybody involved in the show loves being involved. And it really, you see the Facebook page, which I hope everybody goes and likes. We're up to like ninety five thousand people. They're trying to close in on a hundred thousand likes at official Star Trek continues on Facebook. But uh, they put the pictures up and and um, of everybody going to eat dinner together after shooting and everything and and it really is unless Todd has to go back and do 19 hours of audio recording for his various projects at, in his room, <laughs> locked up all night. <laughs> um, aside from that, uh, everybody would go out and eat together at night there, and everybody around Kingsland, which is kind of like a, it's like a little town right over the border from Jacksonville in Florida, but it's like a tourist, like the last town in Georgia before the border. And there's like a cluster of like eight motels. It's like way bigger than it has any right to be because it's on I-95 and there's all these chain places. And we all know the people at the Applebee's bar know us. And <laughs> and there's a nice steakhouse that, that you know, it's like, oh, is it, are the Star Trek people in town? Yep, okay. And uh, the motel that we get a deal at, you know, they know everybody. And it's just it's just kind of a weird little – It's it's kind of like – must have been like when – you know, Barnum and Bailey Circus was in Ringling, Oklahoma over the winter, and everybody knew that the elephants were in southern Oklahoma, you know, and the tigers. And it was just kind of like, okay, circus is in town for the winter. I mean, it's like that, it's that same kind of feeling. <laughs> and that whole little thing about Ringling, Oklahoma, totally free of charge, right there for you. Thanks. Their little, the Oki Chamber of Commerce did not pay me for that at all. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it's fun, and I look forward to, uh, you know, being able to do what I can for the for the production it's been great and 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 but i like i said i i help i've got the guys i know at Oklahoma city i told them i'll help them any way i can and uh you know who knows what'll happen but um i i just think the whole fan film movement's just amazing and and i see a new one pop up here and a new one pop up there and of course it's a long road between saying we're going to do it and getting it done and i don't say that to discourage anybody but there's a lot of work and uh but you know you know, go for it. Fans are sitting around screaming for more track, and here you go. And you know, power to you to do it yourself. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to episode three for sure. Oh, and yeah, well, and you'll be blown away. <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say that. Okay. Uh, there's right. probably a lot. There'll probably be a lot less. I mean, when I was there, I made sure and get things with some of the crew that I thought had had short shrift. 
because there's just a lot from the show that will be spoilery to even to show it. So, um, so uh, it'll, it it's a good thing it's turning around. I think it's going to be out in June. Pretty sure. I think I knew that was the plan, and I just hadn't heard if it was totally nailed down. So I hate to say anything, but um, it'll be a short turnaround. But um, people will be blown away. All right. Well, after saying that, I'm expecting Arena 2 Electric Boogaloo, and if it's not, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> Gorn to be wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much for for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's uh, cool to get a an, an insider's look into the making of these these fan films. Well, you know, it's just you know, on one level, it's just kind of weird to see. To, for something like that to come out of your mouth, I and mean, we're getting an insider's look at the fan film no, Star Trek. It's just it's weird, weird, but I mean, but, but it's that's that's what shows. That's very that's heartwarming. That's not. I don't mean about you, but I mean you're reflecting what's no, happened in true, fandom, because, and it's I mean, people are so hungry. I start to say desperate. They're hungry for something that it's great that people have embraced all of fan films and continues in particular, and it's just cool that we're at a point where we can do this. Yeah, and and it's not as I mean, I've made I've made my own fan films. I've made a lot of of movies. I went to film school. I know what you know, uh, uh, you know, amateur filmmaking is like, and I do not like it ninety nine point nine percent of the time. And when I see something like you know Lolani, you know, and I'm like, wait, no, this you you're saying this is by. Amateur, this is not a professional production in the sense that people are getting paid and stuff. No, wait, what's going on? Who who did you kill in order to get this thing on screen? I mean, it really is impressive. On monitor. So, what was that? I said on monitor, maybe. On monitor, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it 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 really is an impressive thing to see. I, I uh, and and that's that's speaking as someone who is, you know been through this on the other end. Well, I have a parody that we did in college, and someday, some way, somehow, if you were at small cons at Oklahoma in the early, uh, well, a ways back, <laughs> you may have seen it, but I've <laughs> kept it under wraps, especially since my my uh, pro career, kind of since the companion days especially, kind of took off and we moved to L.A., and some way, somehow, in the next year, I don't want to get it, I want to clean it up and do some things. I'd love to get the original original copy, but someday Star Trek will see the light of day. And Everybody calls their Star Trek. I have one, too, <laughs> from college. I have a Star Trek parody that we did in college called Star Trek. Well, <laughs> were you in southern Oklahoma where people really said, you like that Star Trek stuff, huh? No, it was it was East Tennessee. Okay. So oh, okay. Well, then similar I, I will bow to that, yeah. You like that Star Trek stuff, don't you? Okay. I played Frenchie, <laughs> the <go>. engineer. <laughs> yep, I can I can see this guy. Well, we just did. I didn't like on Doctor Demento. They would have uh, like some of the famous early parodies, like Star Drip and Star Drek and um, Star Trip. But um, I didn't like it when they would like intentionally. They would do intentionally cute names. So we had everybody be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I didn't want to be Jerk and Doctor Decoy and Mister Schlock and. You know, <laughs> Mr. Snot and all that stuff, but uh, but it has you know there's puns all the way through and there's and it was done in a weekend and you know more time spent writing the script and filming the thing but it's like half hour and and the bloopers are cute and it was it was from the school of uh, pause and unpause and that's how you edit. 
Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Been, been there, done that. Ooh. And then I cleaned up my digital one. It's just—it was amazing to me how clunky that was to do back in the day, and then how I'm sitting here, me. Oh yeah. I don't have a film degree, but I'm sitting here cleaning it up and doing digitizing my copy. But I'd love to get the original copy. Anyway, that's that's down the line. But even then, we even before that, I took my little movie camera out and a friend that was in a photo class, and and we went out in the park and when I was in summer school and this little like three four minute thing and I was like using magazine covers <laughs> with with labels attached over them that didn't ruin them of course but uh for my titles and I have a big you know with those those original paintings of stuff and I have like a shuttlecraft landing so I pan the camera across the poster to look like the shuttle's descending and you know just to have a little cute <laughs> a quickie thing and then just using my AMT three-quarter size props that I had like detailed and made the phaser one come out of the phaser two and but it's still too small but that's okay and scratch into the film for the phaser beam kind of stuff and that would be really scary to see i think but anyway mccoy with the beard easter egg on the on the uh dvd there yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. someday somehow the world will be you know assaulted awesome when you least expect it anyway guys i'm sorry we went way over here and i should hush but um no that's okay that's okay yeah where can people find you uh on the internet if they wish to talk to you or talk at you talk at me uh well uh at larry nimichek twitter and larry nimichek's trekland on facebook and larry com is the overall place but that's you can see treklandblog.com that's trekland with and it portals to my page and uh Conofwrath.com is also a page, but you can go to that's my documentary. That we still have a very easygoing PayPal donation system if you want to help crowdfund on that. And um, that's it for the online, I think. But then I'll be, like I said, uh, the Detroit Convention, Midwest Media Expo. I have Bang 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 coming up in April. I've got, uh, oh, what's the, uh, we've got, um, Oh, Tampa. Away Mission Tampa is that weekend, that second weekend in April. And then after that, WonderCon in Anaheim. And then after that, uh, bang, bang, bang. And then um, the Detroit uh, Midwest Media Expo. And then SoonerCon back home with my peeps in June. Uh, I'm going to get to go to FedCon in Germany, if you've got any Europeans listening oh, in. Wow. Uh, I haven't yeah. been in to Germany in four or five, six years, so that'll be fun, finally. And um, and the first time since all this stuff has kind of exploded in my own Trekland world. <laughs> um, so FedCon and SoonerCon and a little convention that's really a lot of fun called BayouCon that's in Lake Charles, Louisiana at the end of June. And, uh, and then two days at Comic-Con and then we have the tour, everybody. We have the tour back this year. And we're gonna, we're probably gonna well, be a little larger than we were the first year. So, um, Geek Nation tours and the uh, LA to Vegas tour that I host of his offerings, of Terrace's offerings, and um, that'll lead into the Vegas Con in Vegas in August. And as of right now, I don't have anything after that on the calendar, but we'll see what's. There's a couple things brewing, and uh, it's gonna be a kind of insane April. So anyway, that's all. Uh, more over the country than I have in a long time. So Detroit and. Tampa and um, and all that. So I'll have meetup fundraiser, crowdfunding things for the Con of Wrath at all of those. So it'll be a f- you know fun old time. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I've always wanted to talk to Larry. I was so glad we were able to get him on the show. 
Yeah, he knows a lot about Star Trek. It's kind of freaky. And I, I like that he's got that. I like that that they tapped him to help out with this Star Trek continues because I think it brings it uh, even more legitimacy than it already has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, uh, in between when we recorded with Larry and and the release of this episode, uh, Chris did an interview with the directors of Star Trek Continues, uh, and they revealed the the secrets that Larry couldn't tell us about, well, some of the secrets about the third episode of Star Trek Continues, which will take place in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And you can find that on our newest show, Continuing Mission, and it's uh, trek.fm slash cm3. Uh, I, you know, I, I heard someone, I saw someone on, on Twitter, and they're like, oh, really disappointed you guys are doing Mirror Universe. I was expecting something new. And it's like, really? Because I was that's, expecting that's something that was kind of like an episode of a show which is 47 years old. And if you're going to do that, you might as well do something that's based on one of the best episodes of that show, right? And it's right. not its not like, uh, you know, everything else that's been in the Mirror Universe hasn't been awesome. So I can't wait. Well, Star Trek Continues is not the only thing that we're talking about on the network this week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed that's not Star Trek Continues related. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Montgomery Scott. It's really just their to tell a story that they couldn't tell with Kirk or Spock or McCoy. This is true. An episode where Kirk is framed for the murder of a hooker would be... Right. Awesome. Completely different. It but... would be awesome, but... Earl Grey. Ships of TNG Part 2. Commander Riker, why would you protect the inferior <laughs> ship? I want its treasure. I want the other ship. Darren, how long have you been keeping that one in your pocket? You yeah, I like tell that. Us. That was good. Do a Ferengi. <laughs> the ready room. Scientific method. She tells the the the, guy, the woman that comes on the bridge, and she's like, "Well, it doesn't, you know, it it doesn't matter to me. I'm gonna drive into these stars. It's gonna be great. Like it's like <laughs> I'm just like the orb. Till death do us part." His are, are are very quizzical in nature. They they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who. Who is willing to accept? Okay, where? What is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, "Tell me what to do right now." You know, like, she, right? She, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey. One versus doctor's orders. I was working full time on top of being a full time student, and I listen. I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to hear them. Like, life was happening and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Undeveloped Enterprise Stories. But the idea here is that Porthos would become intelligent and would be the only member of the crew capable of communicating with a canine alien. So even Hoshi apparently couldn't figure out this dog language. Commentary, Trek Stars. Fifth Bull, Shimera. I, I loved. I'd love to see an X Files one shot with Scully and and the hookers. With you know? Scully and the hookers, yeah. that's a great name for that's a what band. We can call it Scully and the hookers. <laughs> Melodic tracks. Five musical favorites. You know, I don't completely hate the opening theme. I, I just really think that Archer's theme should be the opening credits. Continuing mission. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters. 
that's what we posit. We say it makes sense that at this point we know it's from from TOS. They're not integrated, so our crews are not integrated, and and we make a point of that. We don't avoid it. We make a point of it. And in Prelude to Axnar, they talk about that. Literary treks. IDW Alien Spotlight Part One. Well, Chris, it's okay because they can see the Romulans from their house. That's right. So from space, you know, you betcha. You know, that's okay. I can see the Romulans from my uh, from my starship. It's going to be fine. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all those shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they want to share their thoughts on today's show or any of our other shows. They can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using a webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners on our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars uh, with my friend Max, and you can find me and Max on commentarytrackstars.com, where we do commentary Trek Stars off-topic with our friend Brandon. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and you can find me at various other places around the network. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what's, what's story time for today? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, one of the things about Star Trek Continues is that they're taking, you know, this thing that we love and building on it. And, uh, you know, lots of people have done that over the years in different ways. And one of my favorite ways is the way that uh, Peter David has sort of built on the franchise with uh, his series called New Frontier. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've ever read these books. I've not read them, but I I know that they're kind of like a... I'm interested because I'm, I'm... I'm always interested in the little guy, the other people, the people you don't hear about, the mm-hmm. the not flagships of the fleet. Right. And and what they do is they really do kind of like try to tie it into the other shows. Like the captain is a new dude, but then like his first officer is, uh, what's her name from Best of Both Worlds? Elizabeth Dennehy's character. Shelby? Yeah, Shelby. And then, oh. and then uh, everyone's favorite, Ensign Robin Leffler, is part of the crew. And, no way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? And uh, uh, a bunch of other people, too. And, and Peter David, I, I don't know. I mean, I've read very few Star Trek books, but almost all of them have been Peter David books because that guy is amazing. And, I mean, his comic books are amazing and everything. And New Frontier holds a special place in my in my heart. Yeah, you can get it for free. You can get the first four books bundled into one nice package. Narrated. Really? Yes. Narrated by... Ashley Judd. 
No, no. Damn it. The 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 brother from another planet himself, Joe Morton. And uh you can get that for free on audible.com. Uh so here's a here's a description for those people who don't know. Um a new ship, a new crew, a new mission. All four exciting new frontier adventures are captured here in one program. This is when there was only four and others like 75,000 or four, <laughs> 47,000. I'm sorry, Larry. The newly refit Ambassador class Starship Excalibur is sent to Sector 221G, which was once ruled by the vicious Thelonians, but has now descended into chaos. Captain Calhoun and his crew, including some old friends from the next generation, must boldly go where no one has gone before. Ooh. And all of this can be yours for free if you sign up for audible.com. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by... Uh, donating directly to the website if you go to track.fm slash donate you can uh choose from eight original alien illustrations uh done by tobu ushi the guy who does the artwork you see on the website uh you can get badges and art prints and any kind of combination depending on how much you choose to donate so just let us know what you'd like in what format again you'll find them at track.fm slash donate and your support helps us pay for the cost of production hosting and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week Unfortunately, he has not yet released his brother from another planet alien badge. Maybe next week. I don't I don't get that joke. You've never seen Brother from Another Planet? No, oh man. What is this? It's it's a movie from the 80s. Uh, it's directed by John Sayles, written by John <laughs> Sayles, and it stars Joe Morton as the brother and he's an alien who comes down and don't remember the exact specifics or whatever, but he essentially takes the, the form of, of a dude who some might refer to as a brother. And uh, <laughs> it basically, you know, is a way at looking at, you know, 80s, I think it was New York and society and the way that, uh, you know, sort of that that time period and, and place was for, you know, African-Americans of the day. You know, hmm. it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very good, it's a, it's a pretty okay movie. <laughs> it's very historically significant. I like how you step that down. Yes. It's, 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 I, I can admire it for its craftsmanship and for, it's very Star Trek. It's very okay. much about, you know, taking a science fiction concept and, and, and trying to uh, look at, at society's problems today. Uh, through that science fiction concept. Oh, okay. So check it out. Whatever. It's good. For those of you who didn't get enough with Larry this week, fear not, for he joins us again next week to talk about his obvious favorite character, Dr. Leonard McCoy. So everybody, thanks for listening to this episode. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir. 
Okay. Well, we'll do it. We'll do a clap and. Uh... Yes, I like the clap. <laughs> it makes me feel so much better. That came out really wrong, but that's mm-hmm. okay. We're gonna, Larry. We're gonna give you the clap. Okay. Okay. You can do that digitally. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> These little cables carry so much. Yeah.